Hi there. Uh, one of the guests that was in in April was so popular. I've managed to get him back. It's the wonderful Dr. Anthony Chafee. And he's going to ask you, uh, he's not going to ask you anything. He's going to answer a few of the most popular questions I get on my channel. Hi, Anthony. Hey, good. Uh, I'm, I'm, how are you? Nice to see you. Uh, I'm good. And yeah, the, the last video got a lot of comments and I did do a poll. If you were on, what questions would you ask? So I've got a list of questions we're going to rattle through. I know May is particularly busy, especially with the conference coming up. Um, so let's go to some really basic questions and you can take as long as you like or short as you want. So the most common question I had is, why is the carnivore diet and is it safe? So, so the carnivore diet is really our biologically appropriate species-specific diet. Human beings are carnivores, and that is our optimal nutrition. Uh, so is it safe? Yes, because it's it's optimal. It's it's the best thing that we can put in our bodies to fuel our, our health. And it doesn't have things in it that are harmful to us, like plants do. Plants defend themselves by being poisonous. So, you know, all living organisms have a defense. And or else they don't stay living organisms. And while animals can run away or fight back, plants can't. And so they have to use poisons and other natural defenses to stop being eaten. And so these I mean, we know this from, you know, just just the fact that there are edible and inedible plants. Right. You get lost in the woods, you run out of food. You can't just eat any random plant. Most of them will make you very sick or even kill you. That's because they are inedible. Well, does that mean that the edible plants just have no toxins? No, it just means that we have more of an ability to detoxify than they aren't as acutely poisonous to us. So on a carnivore diet, you eliminate out all of those potentially harmful you know, plants, and, and some are, are more or less, some are quite benign, but they still have something in them, and they don't provide as good of a benefit. So this just provides optimal nutrition for us as a species and eliminates out everything else. And so by definition, it is safe. Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, here's that old chestnut. Will red meat give me colon cancer? No, no, no. So no, that, that, that was, that was, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, we touched on this last time, but we, there, there are a lot of nutritional studies that are, they're just bogus. And a lot of these things are brought about by, biased parties such as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Loma Linda Medical Center, which is a Seventh-day Adventist uh, hospital, medical center, and uh, medical school. And um, and a lot of, of research is coming is coming out from these people because they have a they have a, a biased self-interest in vilifying meat because they think it's sinful. In the 1800s, they they saw that people that ate more red meat, you know, fornicated and procreated more often. They said, oh, meat makes you more lustful, lust is a sin meat is 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 sinful so that's where their head is at and that's not where my head is at and so they do put out these these pieces of information um that generally have weak correlations and cherry pick data cherry pick uh, the information they want to include in their studies and their write-up and uh, and doctor it any way they want so the reason that people keep saying that red meat causes colon cancer was because there was you know, one you know, one study, and, and as we mentioned last time, many times the conclusion does not fit the available evidence that is presented in the study. And so you don't just read the conclusion, you read the whole study and you make your own conclusion. And so the conclusion of this study was that red meat was, was a risk for colon cancer or could be a risk, had an increased association of 18% with colon cancer. Well, in epidemiological studies, because there are so many different factors, you're not controlling for anything. They're called confounding factors. You have no idea 
what, what's going on. There's all these uncontrollables that if you get something less than a 200% increased correlation, you just consider it background noise. It's not, it's not a strong enough signal to be worth your time and effort to do a more dedicated study. And that's usually what it is. You do a more dedicated study once you find a strong correlation or association. So this didn't have a strong correlation or association, but they ran with it because they're biased. And they said, oh, look at this, 18%. Oh my God, it increases your risk of cancer by 18%. Well, no, not necessarily. Um, because there's an association, uh, but it's a weak association. There's a lot of confounding factors. Um, people that eat meats are more likely to smoke, more likely to drink, more likely to drive fast, more likely to die in, in extreme sports. And that's because we've been told for the last 50 years that meat's going to kill you. And so people who eat meat, you know, say, screw it. And they thumb their, no their nose to that. And they thumb their nose to other sorts of things that are dangerous as well. And so that can that can increase these things. Also, in these studies, they considered quite strange things, meat and red meat, uh, such as pizza. They said, well, sometimes pizza has meat on it as a topping. Sometimes it has red meat as a topping. Therefore, pizza is meat. Pizza is not meat. Pizza is about 30 ingredients, most of which are plant-based. So that's just fraudulent on its face. And, uh, and they're obviously not serious about, about learning something. They want to put forward a narrative and uh, make propaganda. And that's what it was. So when these studies were redone and they eliminating these confounding factors, they didn't count pizza as red meat. They found that there is no association between red meat and cancer. In fact, the University of Washington in Seattle just published a major paper last year. It's a massive literature review looking at all the available studies. And they found that the conclusions that were wrought from the studies uh, were completely unjustified. And they found that they said that these were extremely weak correlations and extremely biased, and that they absolutely did not show even an association with even processed meat and cancer, and certainly not unprocessed red meat. And that was that was just published last year in a, in a landmark paper from the University of Washington in Seattle. So, no, our biologically appropriate species-specific diet, the thing that we've been eating for millions of years or since creation, whatever you want to go by, since the dawn of man in any case, is not going to be causing you cancer, no. That's brilliant. And just for people, I'm being respectful of your time, Dr. Chafee, but I just want to give you some info that I personally did. I, I signed up for a medical trial because we talk about it so often. I actually wanted to see it firsthand so I could give people the truth about actually what happens. And I can assure you, when it came to the question of meat, there is not a button to press that says red meat, grass-fed red meat, um, mm. chicken. It's meat. And I asked the, uh, the person with the clipboard, who was adjudicating, um, I eat meats, but I don't eat processed meats. Um, where's the buttons? And you keep, there's no flow for that. Basically, if you have meat in your diet, if it's a sausage, if it's a Big Mac, if it's grass-fed, right. it, it definitely, definitely. And the other thing, and I think you'll find this interesting, is I asked if I could take a photograph of the menu that we were going to be eating because it was a clinical trial. We would be staying overnight in hospital. They would not let me take a picture of it. And I would not eat that food. So, uh, right, the next question might be yeah. one that surprises you, but it seems to be really bubbling to the surface. Will the fat give me diabetes? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, that, no that's been shown uh, very conclusively in clinical trials that 
that a high fat ketogenic diet reverses type two diabetes. So no, that's dead ass wrong. So um, yeah, there, this is something that's been pushed forward by by some of these vegan doctors. It's, it's a baseless claim. It's just you know it's it's theory and conjecture, and it does not even relate to the observed phenomena. Um, so no, they have actually there's a completely baseless claim uh, on based with no scientific evidence whatsoever. And in fact, there is there is copious amounts of data and evidence and clinical trials in humans showing that a high fat ketogenic diet reverses type two diabetes. Dr. Steve Finney has been doing research into to, uh, ketogenic diets and, and diabetes in particular for decades. And, and he has shown this conclusively. Yeah, I think people on my channel know that I'm a specialist practitioner in obesity and diabetes. I have over 500 people that prove that that is not the case. Get them off yeah, metformin on a regular basis. Uh, right, so a, a few more. And, and off insulin as well. You know, a ton of them come off insulin as well. You know, yeah. type 2 diabetes and insulin dependent for decades or coming off insulin, coming off all their oral medications. So, you know, and, and my mom reversed her type 2 diabetes. She was a type 2 diabetic for 30 years. And in two months, her HbA1c went from 9 down to 6.1. And she came off all of her medications and reduced her, her Lantus or long-acting insulin down to the lowest dose possible and never needed to take her fast-acting insulin. And her doctor just looked at her and said, how the hell did you do this? What the hell did you do? You know, diabetes only gets worse. It's a chronic progressive disease. It only gets worse. We can mitigate it and slow it down with diet, lifestyle, and drugs, but it never gets better. It only gets worse. How the hell did you do this? And I went in and spoke with her and, and told her about, you know, my research and findings. And she changed her whole practice. Now she does that with her. Now she's since retired, but she she then just revamped her whole practice with diabetes and just just got rid of the carbs and got rid of the diabetes. Yeah, see, that's heart, That's a heartwarming story. And and sometimes, I mean, healthcare professionals, they don't want to know. I mean, this is the feedback I get because people come back to me and they say, I'm off my metformin, but my doctor did not believe that I'd done it by the carnivore diet or low carb even. But it's very frustrating. Yeah. Let's move on to the next question. I'm sure you've heard this one. Will I get all my vitamins and minerals? Yeah, absolutely. So the concern is with, with their RDAs, right? So the recommended daily allowances, they say you need this amount of this vitamin, this amount of that mineral, and they look at that at the the um, nutritional com you know composition of a steak, and they're like, well, it's not all in there. You know, some of these are, some of these aren't. And uh, the what's going on there is that you need a different comp you know compilation of vitamins and minerals based on what you eat. And so if you're eating a bunch of plants and fiber and different sorts of things, you actually need different nutrients to help you process those plants and fiber. But also um, there's things called anti-nutrients where plants make chemicals that bind to minerals and bind to vitamins and sequester different nutrients to make it more inaccessible and less bioavailable. And even when it gets in your body, you know, phytic acid will, will bind to, you know, magnesium, calcium, and, uh, and, and will bind that. You cannot access that. Oxalates will do the same. You get oxalate calcium stones in your kidneys. So your body's trying to get, it binds to the calcium, strips that out of your body, and you end up forming, uh, you know, crystals and, and stones and things like that in your kidneys and elsewhere. So if you're not eating those things, you're not eating those anti-nutrients, you're not eating things like carbohydrates, which compete for binding sites in your gut and in your body, with vitamin C, you don't need as much vitamins and minerals. And so, you know, for a, a, a classic example of this is, you know, scurvy, people think, oh, you're going to get scurvy if you only eat meat. Well, 
That's not the case because the polar explorers all found out that the Inuit did not get scurvy, but they got scurvy if they were eating like sailors biscuits in their food. So then they switched to just eating meat. These are Europeans. They say, well, well, the Inuit, there's a special genetic breed that they can survive like that. No, no, the Europeans fared better as well. And so when they switched over to what the Inuit were eating, which was fish and fatty meat, they, they did not get scurvy. They, in fact, reversed all of these uh, nutritional deficiencies that they had, and they were extremely healthy and hearty. And so, um, so well, I mean, we just know that you get everything you need from, from meat because the Inuit do, and, uh, and the polar explorers do, and you can't live generation after generation after generation only eating meat if meat doesn't have absolutely everything you need in it. So for, for vitamin C and scurvy, first of all, what does vitamin C do? It hydrolyzes proline and lysine, which... Uh, are able to form properly bound up in tight collagen. You don't get those things hydrolyzed and they don't, they aren't as tight, they aren't as strong and you get weak tissue and gums and they start bleeding. Your tissue starts breaking down and you die. It's very dangerous. But when you're eating a lot of meat, you get a lot of collagen and you get a lot of hydrolyzed proline and lysine. You don't actually need to make it de novo. You don't need the vitamin C for that, um, that, that chemical process. So you need a lot less, but also carbohydrates, by or, or um, compete for binding sites uh, with vitamin C. And so when you're eating carbohydrates, you need far more vitamin C to overcome and overwhelm the amount of carbohydrates that you're eating. So if you're eating carbohydrates, you need vitamin a daily amount of vitamin C measured in milligrams. But if you're not eating vitamin C, you need, if you're not eating carbohydrates, you need vitamin C measured in nanograms. So it's one millionth, you know, of the dose. So it's a big difference. And so, you know, the RDAs don't need to be refigured for a carnivore diet when you're not eating these anti-nutrients, when you're not eating things that compete for binding sites, when you're not eating things that disrupt the normal workings of your bio, of your biology and your biochemistry. And also, you know, the RDAs were, were you know, were uh, thought up and, and calculated by our friend Ansel Keys, who we know was bought and paid shill of the sugar companies. You know, we know that he doctored and falsified data and literature to make to, to, to appease somebody who's paying him off. How do we know he didn't do that for the RDAs? Maybe he didn't. Maybe that maybe that was good research that he did. But we don't know. Everything that guy does is suspect. And either way, it does not fit observed facts. I have not taken vitamin C. I've not eaten anything with a significant amount of uh, a more significant amount of vitamin C than than just meat in nearly a decade. And I, I do not have scurvy and I would be long dead by now if I was going to get it. Great answer. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Will all that saturated fat raise my LDL and give me a heart condition? Um, not necessarily, and no. So you know, there, there's actually no mechanistic, you know, uh, reason why saturated fat would actually increase uh, LDL cholesterol. So we, we sometimes see LDL cholesterol going up when people eat, you know, higher fat diet, but it actually goes up when you're in a carbo high carbohydrate diet. And when you fast, your LDL goes way up. You're not eating anything. So what's going on there? There's, there's other things going on here. Uh, if you have sex the day of or the day before you get your cholesterol checked, it's going to be different. You get it done at a different time of day. It's going to be different. If you work out the day before, it's going to be different. All there's many, many factors that go into this. If you're fasting all day, but you check your, your cholesterol at the points of the day, it will be different at every point during the day. So it's, uh, it's not a very accurate test. And, um, 
But, you know, LDL was was never the problem. LDL was never a cause of heart disease. And if people want more on that, I can you know, watch our, our previous episode where we, we went into detail about that. But it no, it will not cause heart disease because it never caused heart disease. It was never associated with heart disease. And saturated fat certainly isn't. The Journal of the American College of Cardiology, one of the top medical journals in cardiology in the world, published in 2020, a large uh, literature review and study going through all the data and literature and said that, look, with all the available evidence, there actually is no upper limit on the amount of saturated fat that you can eat safely. And there is no association whatsoever between increased saturated fat and cardiovascular disease. And so you can't prove causation from correlation, but if you show that there's no correlation, that proves there is no causation. You have to have correlation first. And so there's no correlation between increased saturated fat and heart disease. That means there is no causation. There cannot be causation. QED, thus it is proved, that's it. And in fact, they found an inverse relationship between saturated fat and heart disease, or and sorry, stroke rate. So saturated fat and stroke rate. So the more saturated fat people ate, the lower their stroke rate. The less saturated fat they ate, the higher their stroke rate. So if you are worried about your health, your cardiovascular health, your mental health, uh, and just your health in general, eat more animal fats. That's brilliant. Final question. We get this ever such a lot in this space. Well, I think in the health space. If I go to the carnivore diet, will I end up constipated or with diarrhea? Oh yeah, if you if you, if you eat, um, yeah, maybe, yeah. But but you want to you want to get your fat intake right. If you're eating the right amount of fat, sort of the Goldilocks, you know, level of uh, of fat, then you you'll have nice soft stools. Um, People think of constipation in two different ways, uh, the right way and the wrong way. So the wrong way is that they're just going in frequently. They only go in once a week. And oh, that means you're obstructed. That means, no, not necessarily. It just means that you, you may just not have a lot of, uh, of waste to dispose of. If you're eating meat, then you're going to absorb 98 to 99% of the meat that you eat. And so you're simply going to have much less waste. If you're eating plants with a lot of fiber, you cannot break down fat whatsoever at all. It has to be excreted. Not the case for meat. You you absorb most of meat. And so there's just going to be a little bit left over that you can't absorb. And that goes out. And actually, most of that's just bacteria anyway. And uh, and the good bacteria, by the way. And so if you're, if you're eating enough fat, then your stools will stay soft because that will keep that soft. Your body has a limited capacity to absorb fat. And once you meet and exceed that, that uh, ability to absorb fat, basically with the amount of bile that you have, your, body, your liver makes bile and that emulsifies fat and you can absorb it that way. Without bile, it's very difficult for your body to absorb fat. It can a little bit, but not much. It's a very small percentage will get absorbed. It's usually like medium chain fatty acids. The rest goes out. And so if you find that you have dry, hard stools, that's real constipation in the bristle stool, stool chart, is dry, hard, crackly, knobbly, pebbly stools, that's constipation, not infrequent, right? Because you, you're going once or twice a week is actually completely normal because you're going to have such a low volume uh, to excrete. But if it's dry and hard or, and, or pain, and or painful, then that means that you are absorbing every ounce of fat that, that you're taking in, which means to me, you're not eating enough fat because your body's not just making bile for the fun of it. It's making a specific amount of bile because it wants a specific amount of fat in return. I, you know, it could be that it's just completely random, but I, I just can't believe that because your body is so specific and exacting in every other biochemical process. And so in any case, once you run out of bile for whatever reason, 
you run out and your body can't really absorb it anymore. And so that will go out. And so if there's a little bit extra, that's going to keep it soft and oil repels water. And so it can sit in your colon until Christmas. It's not going to get any drier than it already is. And it'll come out nice and soft. If you're eating a lot more fat than your body can absorb, then it will come out as, as diarrhea. This is where the, the, the phrase uh, quicker than fat through goose comes from because they can't really absorb this stuff and it'll shoot, shoot right out of them. The other side is true too. If you eat so little fat that you get extraordinarily constipated, you can get what's called overflow diarrhea or spurious diarrhea, where you get this pseudo blockage. And then there's like liquid stool that's sort of squirting around it and, and getting out that way. So you, you, you go back and forth between extremely painful, hard stools and constipation and just liquid diarrhea. So if that's the case, you really need to up the amount of fat you're eating. The other side, and something that people get early on uh, when they get loose stools with, with carnivore is because they're still drinking coffee or using artificial sweeteners, usually in their coffee. And both of those act as laxatives. And this is something that, that people really like about, uh, you know, really find it hard to get rid of is coffee. That's sort of the last plant that they, they hold on to on a carnivore diet. They like coffee. And, but it's going to be much more oh, well, like, oh, I'm, I'm drinking the same amount of coffee, but now I'm having loose stool. Yeah, but you don't have a huge burden of fiber causing this big backlog uh, that it has to contend with now. It's just, it's, you have very small volume. It's going to come out as liquid because there's nothing blocking it and obstructing it. And so if you're drinking coffee, you can absolutely get loose stools uh, or artificial sweeteners. You can get loose stools or stevia or monk fruit sweetener, all of these. And, uh, and in fact, you, you may be eating under eating fat, but because you would normally be very constipated, but you're drinking coffee, so it's speeding it up. You may think, oh, I have normal stools. It's normal. Um, if it's normal and you're drinking coffee, you're probably probably not eating enough fat. You're probably constipated. That's a great answer. And um, some exciting news is you're going to be here in the UK, aren't you, in a couple of weeks' time. Do you want to just quickly yeah. tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll be speaking at, at uh, the Public Health Collaboration, PHC's uh, ab, um, annual uh, event that they have. We have a, a bunch of different speakers and doctors and experts from around the world coming in and, and you know sharing and presenting on various fields such as cancer, metabolic health, uh, diabetes. Uh, I'll be on a panel with Dr. Sean Baker and, and two others speaking about you know, do we need plants or do we even want plants? Are they good for us at all? Or should we really avoid them? And so there will be, uh, I'm sure, a very uh, interesting discussion on that because obviously not everyone shares the opinions that I have about, about uh, well, not even opinions, just they, they don't understand the hard facts about botany, which is that plants are, are, are used to chemical defenses to defend themselves. And that's a fact. It just is. It's in, it's in a lot of textbooks. And um, and so, yeah, really looking forward to that. PHC is uh, it, it's it's sort of mission is to try to affect policy and change, you know, at a at a top down level. And we're trying to get this grassroots moving up of doctors and and lay people and professionals in general understanding that you know food is is much more uh, is much more important to your health than than we first thought. And uh, or realize, and so more and more people are coming around to this. More and more doctors are coming around to this, and we're presenting research on this and presenting it to a lot of doctors that can, you know, ask questions and take something away with them and take it to their practice, but also to try and affect policy changes and try to get it understood from the top down that 
diabetes can be reversed with a ketogenic diet, which a carnivore diet is, and, and other sorts of measures. And so understanding from the clinicians and the studies that when you change people's diet, you can actually change the course of their diseases in a number of ways, especially things like uh, um, you know, diabetes and even heart disease, and especially things like autoimmune diseases. It, I mean, autoimmune diseases respond extraordinarily well to elimination diets in general and the carnivore diet in particular. So it's going to be very exciting. And so I hope that uh, people are able to attend and come ask questions and see the arguments and see both sides of the arguments and, and see what they think. See if I'm if they think I'm uh, I'm just out of my depth and uh, and out of my league or or if maybe I have something to say. Yeah, well, you're definitely not out of your depth. I mean, the question, the reason I talked about that conference is because you answered those questions brilliantly and there will be so many other questions people want to to raise and i think going to that conference and there's links in the description there's links in the description i can't remember where it'll be on but anyway um and you can go direct and book the tickets and it's in sheffield it's at the crucible you know sheffield if you've not been to it's it's in the middle of england it's just up the road from me actually about an hour's drive so um I might be there. So you can come and say hello to me as well. But anyway, thank you, Dr. Chafee. That was amazing. I do appreciate your time. I think everyone will love all the answers because they are pretty much the ones that we always get asked when people first transition. So really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Bonus round. Hi there, and welcome to another interview. And I'm going to get straight to the question. I have the wonderful Dr. Anthony Chafee with me, and I'm going to ask him the question, ask everybody, why did you become carnivore? Through happenstance, about 23 years ago, I was taking cancer biology at the University of Washington in Seattle. And we had, we just learned about how plants use natural defense chemicals to protect themselves and stop animals and insects from eating them. This is what they've done for millions, hundreds of millions of years. And we were learning this in the context of cancer. So we were looking at carcinogens and we learned that there were 136 identified human carcinogens just in Brussels sprouts and over 100 in mushrooms and then spinach and kale, broccoli, celery, cabbage, cucumber, any plant that you've ever eaten or seen in the produce aisle, these all had dozens, if not over a hundred known carcinogens and they were quite abundant. Uh, the work of Dr. Bruce Ames at UC Berkeley in 1989 as when he published, he showed that there were dozens and dozens of natural toxins and, to and pesticides in plants, and that they were actually 10,000 times more abundant by weight than the pesticides we spray on them commercially, and that the naturally occurring toxins in, say, mushrooms were 500 times more likely to cause cancer than the pesticides being um, you know, compared against in this study. So it wasn't a small issue. It wasn't just, you know, well, if you grow it in your own garden and all these chemicals, we do it to it. No, the, the plant itself was harmful. And so we were quite taken aback by this and very shocked as you might guess. And I remember thinking in my head, well, you know, but, but aren't vegetables still good for you though? And he just looked at us and he said, uh, yeah, I don't eat salads. I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Plants are trying to kill you. So I said, right, forget plants. And I just stopped eating them. And I, I went to the grocery store that day and I just started walking around. I was like, well, what, what, what do I eat then? Everything has plants in it or is a plant. And I was just, just walking around bemused and I just came across some eggs. And I was like, okay, eggs don't come from a plant. Then meat, meat doesn't come from a plant. And I just ate eggs and meat. And I remember, you know, uh, right away, I started feeling much, much, much better, much healthier and much more energy, much more mental clarity. I just felt amazing. My athletic performance as a rugby player just went through the roof. 
I was just, I couldn't get tired. I was, I just turned into just a different form of athlete. And, and that was amazing. And I really enjoyed that. And I remember a few months into it thinking, you know, well, am I going to be deficient in something? Am I missing some vitamins? Should I eat a banana or something? And I remember thinking to myself, well, my gums aren't bleeding and I feel good. So we're just going to ride this out and see what happens. And I did that for a number of years, for five or six years. And then when I was, I was living in England, playing rugby there, I just sort of slipped off of it. Some of the meat that I was getting had some breading or crumbs on it. And I thought, well, is that a big deal? You know, is it dose makes the poison? Maybe it's not that bad. And, you know, I convinced myself that it wasn't that big of a deal. And, um, and it was, I, I remember thinking like, why, why am I not feeling as just superhuman, amazing as I normally do? I'm not pushing myself. I'm not working hard enough. 25 then so it was like, well, maybe I'm over the hill. I'm just dying now. <laughs> And, you know, that's what people think, you know, you get in your, your mid to late 20s and it just it's all downhill from there. And, uh, and of course, that's silly, but that's that's what you you're told. And I didn't know what it was, but the main thing that that happened there was that I didn't have that mindset of I'm not eating any plants. And so then some things started slipping back in and and um, and I just sort of went back to sort of a whole food meat mostly diet but with some vegetables and carbs and things like that and then it was about six years ago five years ago six years ago when i saw dr sean baker on uh joe rogan podcast and, and my brother said oh hey there's this guy he's a doctor he played professional rugby and he says you can get all your nutrients from me and you know my instant reaction was well that that's that can't be right and then you know the, the voice of reason in the back of my head said well you know well, I, I basically did that five years and i've never felt better in my life so okay i'll give it a shot and i'll, I'll watch it and and uh, and see what i think and within five minutes of watching it i, I knew this guy that he was, he was bang on and uh, and i had other i was a doctor at this point and so I, I knew a lot of different research about how cholesterol really wasn't a problem it was actually good for you how fructose and sugar were probably the main culprits and drivers of chronic disease and diabetes and heart disease uh one of the one of the main drivers anyway and uh, and of course the the plants uh, having toxins. So I said, right, I knew it. I knew plants were trying to kill me. Get rid of these stupid things. And I just stopped. And I just got rid of. It. I was only eating uh, spinach, kale, and broccoli, and then a little bit of meat. And I wasn't feeling great. I just got back from doing humanitarian work in Bangladesh, uh, working with Rohingya refugees uh, down in southern Bangladesh who escaped genocide in Burma. And um, you know, I I wasn't feeling great. I was overweight and you know, wanted to get back into rugby. So I was trying to like, you know, just eat a bunch of veggies and slim down and not eat much meat. And I just didn't feel great. And then I just cut out all the greens and I just started eating a ton more meat. And I, after I quintupled the amount of calories I was taking in, because I started eating about a kilo of heavy fatty meat, as opposed to, you know, 200 grams and then a bunch of veggies, I lost 10 kilos in 10 days. And then I just started shredding fat and stacking on muscle. And I just felt amazing. And after two weeks, I was like, right, going back to play rugby, like I feel great. And I was at a dead sprint, being able to keep up with all the guys who've been playing all season while I was away in the refugee camps. And uh, it just went on like that. And so I, I started really digging into the research after that and really finding out what do we know? What can we prove? What, what we have yet to prove? Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. 
I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.